First Kings chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. Now skip down to verse 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal, 450. The prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If Jehovah be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. We ask Heavenly Father that you direct our thoughts this evening. May we glean something perhaps we haven't considered in some time. Help us to grow, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm calling this message this evening, Carmelite Faith. That word may accurately encapsulate our subject, but uh, it might be a little misleading to some people who know a different definition to the word than I'm referring to. There is a Roman Catholic religious order of nuns and monks who use that name. They are Carmelites. They are mendicants referring to their vows of poverty, and they're going about begging for food. There aren't too many of these around. I have seen one uh, monastery of these folk. Their patron saints are Mary, of course, and a fellow named Elijah. This message has nothing to do with the false faith of those well-meaning people. But it has everything to do with their patron, Elijah, who displayed great faith, faith in the Lord, true faith, there at the top of Mount Carmel. Carmel is a small mountain range jutting into the Mediterranean Sea and then dropping down toward the southeast, down toward Samaria. At its highest point, it is about 1,700 feet above the sea, with the brook Kaishan flowing west to the north slope of this little range of mountains. There may be several places on Carmel from which people might be able to look out onto the Mediterranean. And this chapter takes place on one of those flat benches somewhere on the hillside or mountain, below the peak, but uh, nevertheless up there pretty high. As I said in our last lesson, this was the site of where, perhaps, Elijah displayed his most notable trust 
in the Lord. And in our search for examples of practical faith, this event supplies us with uh, several points of uh, thought that might be helpful to us. Tonight, I'm just going to point to several verses and offer an application or two. There is more which could be said tonight, but I'll just leave that between you and the Lord, and he can show you some of these other things, perhaps. Verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Notice that. After many days, third year saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went and showed himself himself unto Ahab, and there was sore famine in Samaria. Before going on, I need to apologize and correct a blunder that I spoke the other night. In the back of my mind, I knew that the famine lasted three years. I was positive of that. But then as I was going through chapter 17, where it is prophesied, there is no mention of three years. So I was, um, well, a little confused. But then I couldn't find that it was, uh, well, just to be honest with you, I read the first part of the first verse and stopped. What does the first verse say? And it came to pass after many days. Oh, there it is again. Many days. And I failed to read on just a little bit farther where it says, many days, three years, many days, three years. And it was three years. Initially, Elijah left his prophecy of the coming drought open-ended. As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain three, three, excuse me, these years, but according to my word. So... I'm going to assume that if Ahab had repented of his idolatry and led Israel to do the same, that the famine would have come to an end at uh, uh, two years, a year and a half, or something like that. But here in chapter 18, we are told that three years have passed. In fact, James 5.17 tells us that it was three and a half years that Elijah was hiding from Ahab and being fed by uh, extraordinary sources. In fact, James 5.17 takes the message of those 42 months in the same direction that I would like to take them. James says, Elias, that is Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. I think I've said that a time or two. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. What we're talking about here is trusting the Lord. Sticking our necks out. And uh, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, expecting things that uh, should not occur in these ways. The rain stopped. Now, Elijah prays, the rain starts. Faith. Great faith. The first thing I'd like you to see speaks about something that we've noticed before. 
The faith which God would like us to have must be patient. It always waits for God's perfect timing. The flesh, we all know, likes to hurry, likes to run ahead, often running ahead of the Lord. But faith is patient when the Lord wants it to be. For many months, Elijah was on a special God-ordained diet, and he was definitely not putting on any weight during that uh, three-and-a-half-year period. Day after day, he woke up looking for ravens to come and feed him. After his afternoon nap, he woke up and expected the ravens to bring some food for supper. Day after day after day. And when that bird period expired, he moved on and his widowed hostess looked into her meal bearer, excuse me, barrel, and there was always enough for one more breakfast for three people and supper for three people over and over and over again. And it came to pass after many days Many days, day after day, with each of them being a test of faith. But God supplied, and God supplied, and he continued to supply. Every day was an ongoing exercise, strengthening the faith of these people. And the Lord never let their faith fall to the ground. He met their needs. He said that he would, and he did. So they trusted him. So the Lord has not to yet answered your prayer and save that soul of the dear friend that you have. Not yet. But don't stop. Don't stop praying. Don't stop trusting the Lord. Don't stop expecting the Lord to answer your prayer and save that soul. Or maybe there's something else uh, filling your soul and demanding your faith. Something requiring a miracle. We all have those from time to time. Perhaps the time isn't right for the Lord to grant you your request because we in our nearsightedness can't see that the Lord has this arranged for other people as well. And who knows what lessons are being taught to somebody else out there. We want it done right now. And the Lord says, be patient. It may take three years. It may take three and a half years. It may take longer than that. Faith is all about trusting the God who knows what is best and who is in complete control of things. So we just trust him to work things out. And we table our desires. Be patient. I think it's interesting that God told Elijah simply to show himself to Ahab. The Lord didn't say, "Uh, you run over there to Samaria and command Ahab to gather a bunch of people and head off to Carmel. Didn't go like that. The truth is, Ahab wasn't at home at this time, and it took several steps for Elijah to finally meet the king, and we're jumping over those. And remember that Elijah had been hidden all this time. Go hide thyself by the brook Cherith, 
that heads down toward the Jordan River. Hide thyself. And now God says, unhide thyself. Show yourself. But show thyself sounds a lot like, Elijah, step right into the crosshairs of the enemy's gun sight. Show thyself. Here I am, Ahab. Hmm. True faith in God requires us to take risks. Sometimes they are dangerous risks. But sometimes those risks are nothing more than exposing our faith to God's test. The Lord says, trust me. While there may be risks, remember that they need to be taken within the will of God. It was God who told Elijah to do these things. It wasn't his idea. The Lord said, do this. The Bible speaks about picking up poisonous serpents. The Bible describes Paul as being bitten by one of those serpents and he was not harmed. But I see no written command and the Lord has never whispered to me to pick up a nice uh, western diamond back and uh, let him wrap himself around my neck and uh, uh, look at me eye to eye. I don't see that in the word of God. That's a risk that uh, I don't think the Lord wants me to take. Now, if I get bitten by one, it could be the Lord's in that. And I'm not going to risk my, I'm not going to put myself out there in something that he has not directly authorized. There are foolish risks taken in the name of faith, and there are risks which the Lord ordains that we take by faith. There's a difference. Yes, God wants us to stick our necks out from time to time, but it must be within the, um, the, the borders of the Word of God to jeopardize our job by talking to our boss about Christ. There's a risk involved. But that's not snake handling, and that's not walking on water, jumping out of the boat and expecting to stand on the water. It is foolish to not buy oatmeal and then every day start looking in the oatmeal jar saying, how come there isn't more oatmeal in here? We got the money to buy oatmeal or whatever it is. Unless the Lord has specifically told us, then I think we need to go to the grocery store from time to time. Our faith must be biblical in nature. Yes. Verse 17, and it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? It is safe to say that our faith will often be misunderstood. Of course, Ahab wasn't thinking about Elijah's faith. He was thinking about the fact that Elijah said it wasn't going to rain. That's the only thing that he's... You're the one who's troubling Israel with this lack of rain. But when he first heard the words that Elijah spoke in, in chapter 17, he probably just laughed. Ha! He's not laughing now after three and a half years. Not laughing at all. No, he wasn't thinking about Elijah's faith. Nevertheless... 
From Elijah's standpoint, that is what he is criticizing. Are you the one that troubles Israel? When we speak to others about specific things, things for which we are trusting the Lord, as I did Sunday night, we have to expect to be misunderstood by others who don't understand our faith. We may be accused of pride when we say, look what God has done for me. Look what God has done through me. Well, that's all about me. Well, it's not necessarily all about me. Look what God has done. We might be accused of self-glorification. Are you saying that your faith is greater than my faith? Your faith is more important than my faith? And when that little core of saints are praying that the Lord's power and leadership would take their church in a more godly direction, they might hear, what's wrong with our church? Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Despite those who disagree, there are thousands of churches which need to be awakened and stirred. The word troubleth refers to stirring here. The trouble, of course, is not with the prayer warrior and the faith warrior, but with the complacent, settled souls, many of whom are idolaters in one way or another. These people need to be stirred. They need to be awakened. Let's pray and trust God to trouble Israel. Trouble us, Lord. Trouble us all. That is exactly what is needed, and that may be what our prayer of faith seeks from the Lord. Trouble us, Lord. Trouble us. And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou in thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. As I've already said, Faith may put a person in danger. But at the same time, faith gives that one who's in danger courage to face it. Having surrendered himself to the Lord and proven his willingness to declare God's word, Elijah put himself in danger of Ahab's sword. Thou art the man. The man of faith must be willing to share the word of the Lord, facing the consequences, while at the same time protect, uh, trusting the Lord to protect him or ultimately to have his will done. Elijah then extended his endangerment. He took charge. He started bossing the king of Israel around. His faith enabled him to take control because he was a servant of the king who was over the king of Israel. Yes. Verse 19. Now yeah. Ahab, send and gather me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal 450 and the prophets of the groves 400 which eat at Jezebel's table. Elijah will mistakenly say, I am the only servant God has in the world. I am the only prophet of the Lord. While that was not exactly true, 
at the top of Carmel, it was essentially true. It was just him. He indeed was, was all alone. 850 false prophets against one. And yet Elijah and the Lord had the enemy surrounded. I can't say it often enough. The kind of faith we need and the kind of faith this world needs to see will usually be found only in a tiny minority. Not with general Christendom. It may be hidden on the banks of the brook Cherith for a while. But it will eventually stand under God's spotlight. And perhaps there will be a thousand angry eyes looking on that faith at that point in time. But it usually begins very small. Verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said... How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. I don't know if I have adequately emphasized that the kind of faith which God blesses is always about God. Yes, you're praying for your friend to be miraculously healed. But what's your motivation? Does it flow out of the fact that you see the pain in that person's life and, and it creates a pain in your life? Lord, heal this person. We are in pain. If it is not, first and foremost, about the Lord then your faith is not only misplaced, but it is misdirected. Yes, we may continue to pray for the healing of this person, but it should be for the Lord's glory, not for you and not even for the person who's sick. It is for the Lord. We yearn for revival. If it's in order to put our church in the national headlines, like that Kentucky Ashbury University right now, then we will never have true revival. If we want the Holy Spirit to straighten out our corrupt government in order that we might continue to live in, in peace and prosperity, then the government's going to continue to crumble. If you want your loved one to be saved because he is a sinner and you love him and he's on his way to hell, then your spiritual classes need a new prescription. The goal of true faith is always the true God. If the Lord be God, follow Him. And the message of true faith will always be the truth. If the Lord be God, follow Him. If Baal be God, follow Him. Faith exposes the weaknesses of error, false doctrine, and false practice. Call ye upon the name of your gods, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, Jehovah, and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. Did Elijah have any doubts about what would happen? He let those people cut themselves and pray and dance around for hours. Did he expect fire to come down and consume their sacrifice? Not for a moment. 
Exceptional faith, the kind we need, doesn't leave the back door open for a little doubt to creep in there. Also, faith should often invite scrutiny. Not in every case, but sometimes. Elijah said unto all the people, Come on now, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. We don't know how many of the citizens of Israel were present that day. Ahab summoned the leadership of the nation, so there were dozens of mayors and governors and elders and that sort of person. But it seems to me that many of the common people, people who hungered for the Lord at this point in time, they were also there. I don't know how many. I don't know how big an area it was for where all this took place. Elijah told them to step in close and examine the miracle, proving to themselves there was no satanic trickery here. There's no tomfoolery. This is the miracle of God. For the sake of time, I will not go through how it all took place. I'm trusting that you understand how he prepared the offering and made sure, guaranteeing that the flame that consumed this bullock, guaranteeing it had to be miraculous. You understand that. Then in verses 37 and 30, 36 and 37, Elijah verbalizes his faith. He prayed his faith. Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Someone might criticize Elijah for asking God to prove that he was the Lord's servant. But the circumstances demanded that if God was to be glorified that day, then the man who is instrumental in it all would have to be glorified as well. And yet, it wasn't all about Elijah. In fact, He's just there. He's just the tool. The point was the magnification of the Lord. It is my prayer that God will ignite the Calvary Independent Baptist Church just as if we were that useless, water-drenched bullock lying lifelessly on a dozen big rocks. It's my prayer that we be consumed sufficiently that post-falls might know that Jehovah is God. Amen. It's my desire that our neighbors and the people up and down this valley from Spokane to Coeur d'Alene be turned back again. Be turned back again. Doesn't that sound something like repentance? That was a need in Elijah's day. It's still the need today. Yes. Repentance. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That's true not only of lost souls, it's true of lost churches. 
Revelation chapter 2, chapter 3. Notice how clearly Elijah's faith was expressed. It wasn't mere hope. It was a full expectation. In his conversation with the Lord, he said, And thou hast turned their heart back again. It was not, I hope they will repent. I wish they would repent and return to thee. He expected their repentance. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord Jehovah, He is the one and only true God. Was someone saved that day? Were there a few of that generation who began to worship and serve the Lord? That was one of the purposes of all of this. I believe that to be true. And then Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. One bullock, two bullocks, three, five, 850 prophets dead. I don't think it's sin on my part, but I don't pray for the death of today's false prophets as it was in Elijah's day. I would not rejoice to hear about the murder of Joel Olstein. I would not be praising the Lord if someone assassinated uh, Pope Francis. An accident took the life of J.D. Jakes or any of those others. But spiritualizing Elijah's faith here, I would rejoice to see the death of false doctrines like salvation by works, regeneration through baptism, the worship of Mary. It is a great day when, by faith, truth prevails over heresy. Yes. That was a great day indeed there near the summit. Mount Carmel. Lives were changed that day and the people who were standing there in the slopes of that mountain. At the very least, they were responsible for more information than they had before. And God was glorified. False doctrine was slain and many were convinced of their unbelief and idolatry. And the human key, the human instrumentality was a single man under the direction of the Lord who put his faith in the living God and his promise. And when the nation showed a tiny bit of repentance, the rains came. The rains came. And I'll save that for another message. <laughs>